I always love learning what song Amy's going to pick when she plays uh, during, the, during the offering. So great choice, Amy, as always. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. All right. Well, my name is Adam Casel. I'm the executive pastor here. Uh, so last week, we ended a series called The Mission of God. Next week, we're starting a new series called Love and Honor. Uh, it's going to be a, a series on relationships. And so because this is a holiday weekend, we're just doing a, a one-off message. Um, and as a way of starting that, I want to do a, a straw poll. We're going to employ uh, Chicago voting rules, vote early and vote often. Uh, so if, I'm just going to be two questions. If you have any test anxiety, don't worry, you cannot get it wrong, all right? So straw poll, if somebody, who here would take it as a compliment if somebody referred to you as wise? Not a wise guy, a wise person. All right, okay, pretty good, all right. How many here would take it as a compliment if somebody referred to you as shrewd? Significantly less, good, all right, because that, I would have had to change my message if the results were any different. In 1984, the iconic film, The Karate Kid, arguably the greatest movie of all time, was released. If you don't know the story, you have something to do this afternoon. I'll briefly recap it for you. A young high school student named Daniel LaRusso moved from New Jersey to L.A. with his mom, and shortly after arriving, in L.A., he's beat up by a group of kids, a group of students who uh, know karate, and he decides he needs to learn karate to defend himself. And the apartment complex where Daniel and his mom live, uh, the maintenance man, Mr. Miyagi, knows karate. And so Daniel begs Mr. Miyagi to teach him karate. And Mr. Miyagi reluctantly agrees, and he tells Daniel to come to his house uh, for his first lesson. Daniel shows up excited, ready to learn karate, and the first thing that Mr. Miyagi has him do is chores around the house. Not only is he doing chores, Mr. Miyagi is strangely specific about his technique. So he has to paint the fence a certain way. He has to paint the house a specific way. He has to wax the car a certain way. Wax on, wax off. The great reveal is that Mr. Miyagi is actually teaching Daniel karate through this. The karate master is teaching the student to learn how to master his body. Maybe you've had an experience similar to Daniel's. You had a, a parent, a teacher, a coach, or a mentor who was really great at using everyday experiences to teach you life lessons. My dad is a master at that. I've got several examples. One of them I'll share with you. I was probably late elementary, early junior high, and I was tasked with doing the dishes. I didn't want to do the dishes, so I got through it as quickly as possible. Little did I know he would be inspecting my work. So he calls me over, and he shows me all the food that I missed. Now, it it wasn't about just doing the dishes. It was about learning when you do a job, 
do it right the first time. I still know where I was and about what time of day it was. That lesson stuck with me. Jesus is a master teacher. We're going to look this morning at how Jesus uses money to teach us eternal responsibility. We're going to see this through one of Jesus' parables and the two subsequent lessons that he teaches out of that. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke 16. So again, Jesus is a master teacher. He loves to use the reality, the everyday reality of money to teach us, to train us to be more like him. Luke 16, verses 1 to 13. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, What's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be entrusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts straight to our hearts. And so I ask that you would give us soft hearts to you this morning. Help us to hear what we need to hear and to put that in action. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this parable is relatively short. It's not the shortest parable. Jesus has much shorter ones, but 
overall, it's a relatively short parable. We have two characters. There's a rich man and a manager. Now, based on the amount of wheat and oil that was owed to this man, he was a very rich man. These are large quantities of wheat and oil. Now, the manager is somebody high up within this business, perhaps kind of the equivalent of like a CFO, a chief financial officer today. And when this manager knows that he's fired, he sets up a plan to endear himself to others. He lowers the debt that they owe his former boss. So imagine you're one of the people who have had the debt. Somebody calls you up and say, says, congratulations, 20 to 50% of what you owed has been forgiven. Right? You would be singing their praises, talking about how amazing or wonderful this person was or this company. How fun of a job would that be to call, be the one on the phone calling up saying, hey, congratulations, we've forgiven 20 to 50% of your debt. You'd hear shouts of joy on the other end. Man, phone. Now, we don't know exactly why this manager is allowed to do this, but most likely he's cutting into his own commission, right? He's not further stealing from his man, the, the rich man. Otherwise, he wouldn't be complimented for what he's done. So this parable is actually pretty straightforward in terms of what's happening. The challenge for us is the lesson that Jesus is teaching based on this parable. In verses 8 to 13 is where that challenge lies. This is where we see Jesus uses money to teach us eternal responsibility. This is Jesus being Mr. Miyagi with Daniel. He's teaching us wax on and wax off. So the first lesson for us this morning is the lesson of kingdom shrewdness. Now, it's interesting. Jesus says the rich man has to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Now, Jesus is not commending dishonesty here. What he's commending is that this man in the moment was able to act shrewdly. Jesus values shrewdness. I'm not exactly sure why this word has a negative connotation. The, the, my quick poll this morning showed only a couple of people here saw shrewd as, as being a compliment. Maybe it's tied back to Genesis 3 where the serpent is described as the most shrewd of all the wild animals that God had created. The word in itself does not have a negative connotation. It means to be astute or sharp in practical man manners. It means to be keen, piercing, artful. Again, it's not negative. It would be a compliment to say that our current IVAC gallery is demonstration of shrewd in we're working with to create something new and beautiful. More poignantly, Jesus is saying that the children of the world are more shrewd in how they deal with the world than are the children of light. Now, during that time, those are two common designations for people. The children of this world are unbelievers. The children of light are, are God's people. 
So Jesus is saying unbelievers are often more shrewd in dealing with others than are God's people. Jesus' words actually suggest that the opposite should be true, that the children of light should be more shrewd than the children of the world. The reason is because the children of light are not bound by this present age. We have access to the world to come. Later on, Paul will say, we have the mind of Christ. Now, up to this point, uh, if you read in Luke chapter 15, Jesus has been talking about the richness of heaven. He tells this parable of a lost sheep and how the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one. And there's so much rejoicing when he finds the one and brings it back to the herd. And he says there's that much more rejoicing in heaven. Then there's the story of a woman who loses a coin, and she searches her entire house to find this coin, and she rejoices and throws a party when this one coin is found. Then he tells one of his longest parables, the parable of the lost sons. Oftentimes we call it the parable of the prodigal son, but the reality is both sons are lost. Prodigal doesn't mean wayward or immoral. It means extravagant. The true prodigal in that story is is the father, lavishing riches and forgiveness on his sons. Greater. Up to this point, Jesus is saying that the riches of the kingdom of God are far greater than the riches of this present age. Friends, if if we're following Jesus, we're not bound by this present age. We are surrounded by thinking that way, and, and often it's, it's our default mode for thinking about our life and different problems that we come across. So do we have any indication of what Jesus is looking for? What's the shrewdness that he's desiring and speaking to? I would argue it's in verse 9. Jesus says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. Now, that Greek word for use actually has a really artful connotation to it. So Jesus is saying, be creative. Be creative with your worldly possessions to make friends. Now, the worldly way of making friends is to use money to schmooze and try to impress other people or to throw money at problems. Those two ways are are limiting. They're not very creative. It's been tried for thousands of years. It doesn't make friends. In fact, it makes debtors. It puts people in our debt. The manager made friends by canceling debts question for us to ponder this morning, to ask the Lord throughout this week and beyond is what are the resources at my disposal that I can use to empower others? Let me say that again. What are the resources at my disposal that I can use to empower others? That question opens us up to kingdom of God resourcefulness and creativity. I'll come back to that. 
Now, the larger context of Luke would lead us to assume that Jesus has in mind to care for the poor. If, as we read through Luke's gospel, we see a picture of Jesus who cares for the poor. There's a lot of unique parables in Luke's gospel, and many of them incorporate caring for the poor. The scriptures on the whole have a lot to say about the poor, about how God cares for the poor, and how good it is for God's people to care for the poor. It's a way that we reflect God's character to others by, when, by caring for the poor. Recently, as I was reading through the Proverbs, I was struck by a proverb in there that honestly messes with my theology a little bit. Now, as a reminder, the Proverbs are not promises. They're truisms about how the world generally works out. But Proverbs 19.17 says, If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. Again, Proverbs 19.17. I can't conceive of lending to the Lord. It's all his. It's like asking somebody to lend me my car or lend me the keys to my house. It's all his, and yet that's in, in God's word for us to, to think over, to ponder what's going on. Now, coming back to this passage, when Jesus says, then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. So who's the they here? Has to be somebody with an eternal home. The only one in the scriptures that's described as having an eternal home is God. So Jesus is talking about when we die, God will welcome us into his home because we can't take anything with us. Now, what I'm arguing is that Jesus is saying we make friends by caring for the poor with our resources and then God will receive us to be with him. Now, don't think that I'm saying Jesus is giving us two options. Either trust him or give your possessions to the poor. He's not giving us a way to circumvent faith in him or trusting him. It's not an either or. Rather, those who have trusted Jesus as king and savior and want to live in his kingdom will be those who care for the poor. For me, I had a couple of really significant moments in learning about the value of caring uh, for the poor. The first was when I was in seminary and I had to do a field experience, a, an urban cross-cultural field experience. And we were at the Evanston Vineyard at the time and, and the pastor over uh, this ministry, sort of ministries of mercy and justice, was a man named Drake Bulwa. And Drake was such a, a kind and knowledgeable man in caring for the poor. It was the first time I had ever helped out with a food pantry. And a night, I don't know if I'll forget, we'd, we'd just finished in our food pantry. We were walking out to our cars, and this woman pulls up, and she says, are you guys closed? And Drake said, yeah, I'm so sorry. We, we just closed. And she said, oh, I, was, I was working. Is there any way you guys can open up 
the food pantry and give me some food. And Drake, just with a kind smile on his face, said, no, I'm sorry, we can't do that. And, I, like, my mouth just dropped. Like, we've got tons of food in there. Why don't we just go in? But I didn't say I met, and I was like, to tell me about that. Why, why did you, why'd you not just go in? And he said, if, if I do that, then that becomes the expectation, and it leads to burnout for our volunteers. He goes, she'll find a way to get there. You know, here she was telling us that she works during this time. But sure enough, the next week, this woman showed up. And then she started attending the church. The other experience I had was um, working with a, tr- a church plant in uh, Michigan, in the Detroit area, where a church that I was on staff with had, had planted. And we would go up and do these service project weekends with them. And this church was doing some really amazing stuff in the city of Detroit. And one of the things that they noticed is that if students fall behind in their reading level and math, the likelihood of them dropping out increases. So they started this math and literacy tutoring program and saw the students who were involved in that make significant progress and oftentimes start to surpass their peers. And this gave them inroads to be able to share the gospel with the students and with their families and make quite an impact in, the, in that area. Both of these churches were, were demonstrating kingdom resourcefulness and creativity. Drake taught me the, the value of creating loving boundaries in this church in Detroit about how empowerment programs can go such a long way in loving our neighbors. God's love and care for the poor was seen in these churches as they loved others. The second way that Jesus uses money to teach us eternal responsibility is in the lesson of lesser to greater. We see that in verses 10 to 13. In these verses, Jesus is highlighting the character traits of being faithful, honest, and trustworthy. Now, this is a simple lesson to learn conceptually, but it's very challenging to live out, the idea of lesser to greater. It's so easy to think of a role or a task of being below us, especially if God's given us a dream of doing something great. But it's a lesson that God loves to teach because he has great things in store for us in the new heavens and the new earth. And we're being prepared for that here and now. Personally, there's so many times that I've not given myself fully to something because I thought it beneath me. I've looked for something else when the situation that I was in was what God was doing to develop faithfulness, honesty, and trustworthiness within me. Now, verse 11 may be kind of surprising to some of us. I'm going to reread it. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Jesus is saying that with money, it's easier to steward money than the true riches of heaven. For some of us, we may not feel that way. 
But the reality is money has never refused to do what we've told it to do. If we tell it to stay, it stays. If we tell it to go, it goes. Now, if you've ever had the challenging experience of a card being declined because it's maxed out or insufficient funds, that's not money refusing to do what it's told. It's, try, it's a matter of not being able to do what it was asked. It's like asking our car to drive 20 miles on 15 miles of gas or to lift 200 pounds with 150 pounds of strength. Jesus reminds us that any money we have is not our own. Again, verse 12, if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Now, in these verses, Jesus is kind of making two lists, this lesser list and a greater list. So in the lesser, there's these little things, worldly wealth, other people's things. Then in the greater, it's large ones, greater responsibility, true riches of heaven, things of your own. These two synonymous lists inform how we should understand what's being said in each list. So in the lesser, the worldly riches are a little thing that belongs to somebody else. The true riches of heaven, they're a large thing, a greater responsibility, and they're our own. That's sobering. There's gifts that God has for us that will be our own. It really speaks to the kindness of our Heavenly Father that he actually gives gifts to us to keep. Saying, no, really, it's yours. We had a leader meeting on Tuesday night, and Randy quoted a verse I'm going to read, and and this is one that Heather, our children's pastor, loves to quote. It's from Romans 11, 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So stewarding the temporary is how we learn to steward these eternal gifts that God has given us. Now, as you read around this Romans verse, you'll see there aren't any qualifications. There's no if you do this, then the calling and gifts of God are irrevocable, or the gifts and calling are irrevocable unless we don't see that. In fact, we see just the opposite. Paul is saying that those who are of Israel but are not living in covenant faithfulness with God, they still benefit from the gifts and the calling that God has placed on his people. Maybe you know somebody who at one time received some gifts from God. And even though they're not walking faithfully with the Lord, they still have those gifts there's a guy I knew in college who grew up in a, a Pentecostal church and some people in that church felt like he, he was supposed to learn how to play guitar, that God was going to supernaturally give him the ability to play guitar. And they prayed for him uh, that he would receive that and he did. Like almost immediately he knew, knew how to play guitar and he, he put a lot of practice into it. He was an amazing lead guitarist. And he pursued a music career and as far as I know, 
isn't really walking with the Lord, but he still has this gift that was given to him. In fact, his band is getting more and more popular, having songs featured in TV shows and on movies because the gifts and the calling are irrevocable. Now, the last item to touch on this morning before talking about application is verse 13. And Jesus is warning that we can't serve both God and money. Now, the word that gets translated money here is mammon. It's from Semitic languages. <clears throat> you may have heard that mammon was, the God, was a god of wealth. I haven't been able to confirm that. I'd like for that to be true. And I kind of lean that way because there's other Greek words that, that Jesus could have used for money. And the only time that Jesus uses this word is here and in Matthew's version of this same saying. Another reason I think that is money and God are not in direct opposition to one another the way that Yahweh and other gods are. Money is amoral. It doesn't have, have a morality in and of itself like sex and power. But it can be used or experienced in a way, to, in a way that honors God or for evil. So again, I, th I think Jesus is, is talking about this opposition of loving God and something opposed to God, near, namely a, a spiritual power. While pre preparing this morning, I had the sense that oftentimes as believers, we can think that Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler is kind of the interpretive lens for Jesus' view on money. If you're not familiar with that story, uh, there's this young man who's just referred to as a rich young ruler. He comes up to Jesus. He says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him to keep the commands. He says, I've been doing that my whole life. Jesus says, one thing you lack. Sell all that you have and give your money to the poor. And then the commentary is that the man went away sad because he had a lot of a lot of wealth. And Jesus then says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is the only place in the New Testament where we see an interaction like that, where Jesus calls somebody to do this. Now, Jesus has asked people to do it since. There's stories throughout church history of, of God calling wealthy people who give it all up uh, to follow him in a specific way. And I would say we need to be ready to do that in way. In fact, there's far more examples in the Bible of people who receive more financial resources after walking with God. I would say the reason Jesus challenges the rich young ruler in this way is because his wealth was his idol. It was the thing keeping him from God. Later in Luke... There's this interaction with a tax collector named Zacchaeus. And in the midst of this interaction, Zacchaeus tells Jesus, I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor. And anybody that I've stolen from, I'm going to give them four times what I took. Now, Jesus doesn't chastise him and say, you fool, only half? Give it all away. No. 
In front of everyone, he says, salvation has come to this house. And he calls him a true son of Abraham. A couple of people I know had an experience where God entrusted more resources after they, they learned how to handle finances well. One was a guy named Jeremy. Jeremy was a pastor, and he was very apathetic about his family's personal uh, finances. And he just let his wife handle it, uh, not because she wanted to or was gifted, but she, she did it so that they didn't go broke. They knew how much money they had. Well, God, fortunately, convicted him of this and showed him in Scripture some of the finances that he should be employing. And Jeremy started putting some of those into action and as a result started and sold multiple businesses and now runs an organization that helps people develop family teams, multi-generational family teams, according to the Bible's principles. Something that he finds far more rewarding than any of the businesses that he started. Another guy is a guy named Joe. Uh, Joe was an entrepreneur from birth. He started businesses in high school and in college, and Joe knew it all until he didn't. When Joe was in college, he had a construction, a booming construction company that was outbidding the, some of the biggest competitors. He was buying equipment left and right. The problem was, because Joe was so young, his customers didn't respect him enough to pay him his full amount or to pay him on time. And because Joe had overextended himself with equipment and trying to keep guys on payroll, he started this check-writing scheme with the various banks that he had accounts with until it all caught up to him. And he went to prison as a felon for this check-writing scheme that he was uh, a part of. And while he was there, through another man, the Lord started speaking to him about how he was handling his finances. And Joe, based on uh, counsel, decided he wasn't going to declare bankruptcy. He was going to pay back everybody that he was in debt to. And so when he got out of prison, he started working, paying off uh, his debts, and ended up starting another business um, in actually a, a magazine that became the second largest publication behind only Christianity today. In a sense, gone on to start and sell several more businesses. And he helps people now. He, he's heavily involved in doing microloans around the world to empower other people and to educate others on how to start and run a business. These are examples of Jesus using money to teach these two men eternal responsibility. So what does this look like for us today? If we want to grow in our stewardship of true riches, then it starts with prayer and our checkbook. In everyday, again, money is an everyday area of life that Jesus loves to use to teach us eternal responsibility. So I invite you this morning to pray and ask the Lord what he wants to say to you about this area of your life.
to ask, where is my thinking off? Where are my attitudes not in, al in alignment with yours? What skills do I need to grow in? Paul told the Corinthians uh, in 2 Corinthians 8 that Jesus, the one who was rich, became poor in order that we might become rich in him. Our use of our finances is, is just out of response of what Jesus has done for us. He's given us the richness of eternal life with him. very practical way to think about our money is to have three buckets. Give, save, live. Now, I'm going to give some percentages. These are aspirational numbers. What we should shoot for, aim for as a, as a family. First is give 10%. Save 10% and live on 80%. Those buckets help us to develop stewardship muscles as we tell money where to go to serve and to benefit others. Saving as we try to bene benefit our family and future generations. And then living on, on the rest. So wherever you are this morning, what I'm encouraging is that you just take the next step. As we've said before, we don't require that you give here. We appreciate it, and it helps us to do what God has called us to do, but the practice of giving is far more important to us. When you give, when you think about where you give and to whom you give, I'd encourage you to find an organization or a person that benefits the poor. We share every week that 10% of what comes in goes out to local and, and international missions. One of those local missions is our own food pantry and the benevolence fund that we have as our, at our church to help those who are in financial need. When we save 10%, it's a great way to build resources and to learn to live within our means. On a practical level, when we are paid, the first, first two places we should tell our money to go is to the giving and to the saving. Because if we wait till the end of the month or that pay cycle, it's going to be gone. That's just human nature. We'll use it all up. For some of us, there's going to be the challenge of trying to live on 80% because oftentimes when we experience a luxury, we, we're convinced that it's a necessity. We all have an area to grow in with this. Our family is working on the saving the 10%. That's where we, where we are right now, trying to figure out what does that look like for us. So again, Jesus uses money to teach us eternal responsibility. He does this through kingdom shrewdness, using kingdom resourcefulness and creativity. And the idea of lesser to greater, 
using temp- temporal, smaller responsibility to be able to handle big, bigger, eternal responsibility. Amy, uh, wherever you are, if you can come forward. Any, anybody on the ministry team here this morning, if you could come forward. Each week, uh, we have an opportunity to be able to respond to something in, in the message or if anything else that is going on in your life. We've got teams up here who would be willing to pray for you. One of the things for this morning was when we were singing, I want to know your heart. Just had this picture of, that was the heart prayer for some of us this morning. Just this desire to know God's heart and feeling like there's something um, impeding that. I just had, had this picture of when God told the Israelites to walk around the walls of Jericho. Just walk. Seems like kind of a foolish thing, but just a simple step of faith of, of walking around. And that uh, maybe this morning there's something there that's just a little too simple. But that the Lord's inviting you to take those steps of faith. When we talk about money, oftentimes we realize maybe we've not surrendered our bank account to the Lord. So I invite you to do that. If you want to have somebody on the ministry team pray for that or just where you are in your seats to just acknowledge that to the Lord, confess that and say it's all his. Also, when we, when we talk about money, it's often common to feel like we've been cursed in that area and that the Lord wants to break that. So if, if you feel like you just can't ever make traction, I invite you to come and get prayer. Or if as a, as a family you want to make a commitment to handling your resources in these these three buckets, giving, saving, and living. If you just want somebody to pray with you, invite you to come get prayer for that. If you have any physical needs, emotional, spiritual, these teams would love to, to pray for you this morning. We'll just give some time as Amy plays to pray and seek the Lord.
Amy will continue playing and we'll have the ministry teams here for prayer. Um, so you're invited to just stay and, and wait. Or if you need to go, you are released. Just release us with benediction from Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen.